So we're back into Philippians, and um, just by way of recap, we said that Philippians is a letter from Paul to this local church. But of course, it was meant to be recorded and then read out for the following few thousand years, which is why we're here today. And I'm sure Paul intended it not only for the Philippian church, but for future generations as well. That's what I believe. And it was a, we said that it was a, a letter of quite a warm tone. It was quite friendly. We looked at how Paul encouraged the believers to grow. You remember we said last time that he encourages all to grow in, firstly in their knowledge. And there's a couple of aspects to that. We said that there's knowledge that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's knowing someone. But then there is that other aspect of knowledge, which is to do with knowing the things of God. Who he is, what he is like, what he wants from us. And we find that in the word of God, which is why we then discussed the importance of studying the Bible together. And also you studying it at home. So we looked at that. He also encouraged, encouraged us to grow in love. And I, I made the important point that love is really easy. We were all chattering before. We all, we all think we all love each other, don't we? But of course you and I have met people in the church who, have, who are not lovable at all. And I'm not saying it's their fault, it's your fault. But we're all sinners and so we find these conflicts. And so the important point is to really focus on the people that you struggle to love and make sure you're not talking about them behind the back. Make sure you don't have any bitterness towards them at all. And finally, it encourages towards wisdom. And that, if you like, is it's combining the knowledge of God and what he wants and, and having a love brought in with it. And those two things then being used in wisdom or discernment and that means that all our interactions within the church of God, all our witness, will be tempered with both love and truth. So, today's portion then, it's, it's a couple of things really, it's a couple of major points in today's portion. It's, first of all, Paul mentions the defence, he mentions in verses 7 and 16, the defence, the defence of the gospel. And he uses that word, I think, because, well, he's about to go to court. And so this is obviously a reference to his trial coming up. But the, the word he uses there for defence is where we get our English word apology from. And it's also where we get that more technical word, apologetics. And so apologetics would be would be taking the word of God, and, but also bringing in, say, archaeological evidence or philosophical arguments or something, and making a case, um, whether you agree with it or not, that, that's, that's a branch of the, of the church's work today. And in a sense, we're, we're all involved in apologetics. Every time we tell someone, listen, I've trusted in this man, Jesus, I believe what the Bible says about him, that all this did happen back then. And that he can forgive people's sins today, and he's forgive my sins. And when you say that, you're making an apology. That's what it's called, an apology for Jesus Christ. Not apology in the way you normally think about it. There's also an important message here today that you've probably cottoned onto. 
about the strange ways sometimes that, uh, that God works. He can work in all kinds of situations. He can take a bad situation, not that he's reacting to a bad situation and making the best of it. God created the bad situation and the bad situation God caused here is that he put Paul in jail. Yes, I know you could say the Romans banged him up, but really God was behind it all. And we'll see today why. It's the same sort of situation back in uh, Genesis, back in Genesis 50. Remember the story of Joseph? You will remember that all these terrible things happened to Joseph. He got, got kidnapped, got taken away, he got put into, uh, he got taken to a foreign country, and he was effectively a slave. And then he got promoted. And then he was in a position then to save people's lives with his, with his godly wisdom. He saved people's lives, including the lives of his very own family. And he said to those brothers, you meant it for bad when you sold me into slavery. That was wicked. But God meant it for a good purpose. He meant it for good. And that is sort of the message here today with Paul. So what I want to talk about is the gospel. It's about this proclamation of Jesus Christ. I want to first just mention why, you know, what is the necessity of the gospel? Well, who needs the gospel message? Well, first of all, the world needs the gospel. By the world, I mean everyone on the planet who's not saved. The world needs the gospel. Why? Because it is sinful. Because the world, the world uh, like us before our conversion, we have uh, fallen short. Uh, the, the, the image often used is someone with a bow and arrow, and they have to hit that target down there, and the arrow just drops and hits the ground, and they miss that target. Now that target is God's standards, very high standards he has, and we all fall short. How can something like that, like us, you know, filthy inside, how can we live with God? How can anyone out there live with God if they are sinful and they have this unforgiven sin? Most of you, or all of you today, have been through this experience of repentance and faith whereby you were led to believe that there's, there's, there's an escape from the trouble you were in. And you went to God and you prayed to Him and in different ways, but each one of us then who are believers, we've gone to God and we pleaded with him for mercy and we've said, Lord, you know, in whatever words you used, I'm vile, I'm a sinner, I've sinned every day, I'm a criminal in your sight, I want you to forgive all my sins, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And at that point, there was a dramatic change and all your sins, past, present and future, wiped out and a cast iron promise given to you of eternal life as well. So that's what you've done. And, you know, we've all got friends and family, and most of them, if you look at your circle of friends and family, the majority of them are not saved, are they? They are lost. And all them people we love, friends of ours, family members who we love more than our own lives, they are lost. They are criminals, and if they haven't had their uh, sins uh, cleansed or wiped out by Jesus Christ, then they remain in that position. 
And we already know the sentence. The sentence is given to us in the scriptures. The sentence is to be removed from God's presence forever and just shut out, just shut outside in the outer darkness. But then there's this good news, isn't it? The good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means. It means good news. But friends, the good news of the gospel, it's only good if the people want it. You can't... Have I knocked on all the doors in the street and told them they won £10,000 in, in a lottery? They would all be jumping up and down. I promise you, they would all be happy. That would be good news to them. If I knocked on the same doors and said, I've got great news for you. You can have your sins forgiven and you can be right with God and you can live with him forever. The door will just get shut in the face uh, for the most part. It's only good news for... It's like offering a glass of water to someone who's thirsty. If they're not thirsty, they're not interested. They're not impressed. It's for those who are thirsty. And for those who are hungry for righteousness. That's who the good news is for. There's actually an example here of what happens when the gospel goes into the world and God saves some. Because Paul later on, in chapter 4 and verse 22... Just a few pages on. 4 and 22 says, it's the very last verse, very second to last verse. Paul's saying goodbye and he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul's witness extended to the very family, the very imperial family, and some of them were saved. So the point is, there's people in those high positions, there's people who are on the street begging. God saves people from all backgrounds. Black, white, rich, poor, all kinds. That's why we take the gospel to the world. <clears throat> the gospel is also for the church. These days, um, well not these days, for such a long time, the gospel has been associated with evangelism is not quite correct. If I said to you we're having a gospel meeting next week you might think okay he's going to tell everyone to bring our friends and he'll tell them all to repent. That's evangelistic but friends as Christians sitting here today you just as I did need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. I don't mean that I'm going to come every week and sort of tell everyone you need to repent you need to trust in Jesus. Why, why would I say that? You're all, you're all professing believers. I, I wouldn't say that. But why you need the gospel is you need to be reminded about Jesus Christ, what went on back then, to be, uh, to be moved, to be moved by this message of the cross again and again. And I hope that you never grow bored with hearing more and more about Jesus so it blesses us, that's the, that's the point. And the, the, the preacher's job, which is near impossible, I suppose, is to use whatever words they can to try and lift up Jesus Christ in your hearts and in your minds. That, that's the preacher's job. He has to uh, try to exalt Jesus Christ. How on earth do we do that? Well, we can use uh, scriptures, for example. But definitely... This is a part of your diet. It's to hear. 
It's to hear what happened at Calvary. It's to hear what Jesus is doing today, saving people. So that, I'm just mentioning that because we, we need to understand that the necessity of the gospel. So that's, it's necessary for the world, it's necessary for us. We need to hear about it. But the main thing is today, it's about the unexpected ways that God saves people. The unexpected ways he saves. Well, I expect the Philippians would have thought that this is a real setback now. There's the Apostle Paul himself, he's in jail. All his preaching ministry, all his outreach, the church planting, everything now is on hold because Paul is jailed. The gospel is going to be interrupted. And um, <clears throat> Paul's real message here is, you detected this no doubt, their fears were unnecessary. Their fears were not necessary. Because Paul's jailing helped the gospel cause, didn't hinder him. The Roman soldiers. Imagine the Roman soldiers saying, so what are you in for then? What have you done? And he says, I'm glad you asked me that. I'm in here because of Jesus Christ. And so he would have had a chance to witness them. And then the next soldier comes on duty and he does the same with him and witnesses to him. And you can imagine then the Roman soldiers going out and, and, and sharing this, this message with, the, with their friends. The other effect it had, it's not just that Paul was in this special place where he had access to people he would never have had access to had he not been jailed. It was not only that, it was also the fact that Paul says that me being jailed has emboldened the Christians to go out and be more fervent for Jesus Christ. That's, that's another effect it had. He says in verse, um, says in verse uh, 14, most of the brothers and sisters, uh, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So that's an interesting outcome. So it's fair that the gospel, as I say, I imagine, I imagine these, uh, I imagine these Roman soldiers saying to the friends, "Have you heard about that?" That poor one. He heard about that poor one in jail. He's, he's in for this, this Jesus guy. You know the one we killed? Well, as Paul said, that that guy, that guy we killed came back to life. And, and so he'd be, he'd be telling about this thing, this miracle. And no doubt he'd also say to them, you know, and there's something special about this fella. There's something very odd about him. He's in jail, but he's not like the other prisoners. He's, he's happy. He's more than happy. He's joyful being inside. It's like he accepts his, his fate being locked up as if it was meant to be or something. And so you see, the, you see how... You see how then that you had all this, this, this ripple effect from Paul being in jail. It wasn't that the gospel, friends, was held captive. Rather, it was his audience who were captive. The Roman soldiers having to sit with him for eight hours a day. They were his captive audience. And so, because of the, the position he was, 
we find that the gospel now has gone throughout the ranks of the military and local government when it could never have reached those places had he not been jailed, as I said. Paul says when he writes to Timothy, he says um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, he says this to Timothy, for which I am suffering, meaning the gospel, I'm suffering for the gospel, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound, he says. The word of God's not changed, chained up. The word of God just, it's just carries on going out. I mean, speaking of strange ways that God uses to bring people to salvation, my own case, I was, in, I was uh, interested in church things from a young age, went to a Sunday school, occasionally went to church, well, not much. And then later on, I was came back to this thing. What's it all about? There's more to life than this. There's more to life than what's around us. And I, I bought some books about the occult. I, I, I had some dialogue with Mormons. I was still looking. I was still going to different churches. By then I was with Karen. And I, I did a Bible study with Jehovah's Witnesses to see if they had the answers. And all, the, all this mess I sort of went through, God was using all that to bring me to a place of of truth when I was able then to just trust in the real Jesus Christ. So God uses strange strange things. So I've mentioned why the gospel is necessary. I've mentioned some of the, the different ways God, the strange ways God uh, saves people. But there's there's also a major uh, a major point in this passage is to do with the motives. So I want us to think about the motives for spreading the gospel because <clears throat> back to verse 15 Paul says some of these brothers he means and sisters <laughs> some of these Christians preach Christ from envy and rivalry you see um, you would think that people would say wow we've got someone here Paul the apostle God's really using him you know we've got a real uh, a real vehicle for God's grace here in Paul. We're so thankful for him. But that's not what happens in real life. What happens is, when someone emerges as a popular, capable, spirit-filled believer, you get people who are envious of them. You get other preachers who want that fame, if you like. And they, presumably, some of these people wanted to be thought highly of just uh, as much as Paul. And I'll tell you something, this, uh, this uh, temptation is something that besieges uh, preachers more than anyone else. It, it is, a, it is a, a, a terrible temptation for preachers to want to be popular. And it's sinful. But preachers, they want to be popular. They want to be, uh, they'll tell you they want to be used by God. But mixed in with that is a bad motive. That they want to be, they want to be really, they want to receive some adulation. They want to be thought of as, oh, you heard about that fella down the other church? He's, he's great. That's what they want. They want to be invited onto the conferences, conference circuit, to, to be, you know, on the panel with all the great speakers. 
that, that they, they want all that. They want churches full, full of hundreds of people. That's the temptation for the preacher. And it's very wrong. And so I imagine that this is what has got to some of these people. They have fallen prey to that particular temptation. That they want to be popular like Paul. I will say this as well. It's, 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 it affects, them. It affects uh, people who don't preach as well. It affects, it affects uh, other people in congregations as well. This desire to be liked. The desire to be admired. It is, it, is, um, it is wrong. We want to act in a way so that people like us because that's what we, we do. We're social creatures. But this coveting uh, to be popular is, is bad. It's a snare. So what was happening here was, I think, because I've seen it with my own eyes in the Church of God, you have people preaching the gospel here and I bet you that they sincerely hoped people would repent. I bet you they were hoping when they preached this gospel with bad motives, they were hoping that people would repent. But mixed in with that was a bad motive. The bad motive, they were, they were doing something they thought might badly affect Paul at the same time. And it's, it's like spiritual schizophrenia, that's what I, I can only describe it as. And pe people do. You, you get people who are you get preachers who are in deep, deep sin in their lives and people don't know about it. And they get up in the pulpit and preach the gospel and they preach it faithfully and I believe they preach it, uh, they preach it faithfully. They want people to, to, to know Jesus. But they have this other life as well. So, I've been trying to work out how would this cause problems for Paul? Because Paul says that um, in verse 17, Paul says that, that they're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Trying to make things, but how would preaching make it more difficult for Paul? Well, there's a couple of things, a couple of things. They might have thought that by being more zealous, we will bring down more, uh, bring more attention on ourselves. The persecution will ramp up a notch. And who's going to get it most? The fellows who are in jail, like Paul. And so they maybe thought that we'll preach zealously and Paul will get it. Paul will get it, we won't. We'll be off. Maybe that was it. It could have been something else. It could have been some internal thing within Paul, some some affliction. It could be that they thought, we'll preach more and more and more, and Paul, his head's going to be done in because he's stuck inside and he can't do a thing. Maybe it was that, but we're told he had bad motives. <clears throat> it may be that they thought Paul would be humiliated because now all these, you know, all these great preachers were on the streets and that they, the spotlight was on them now. And maybe they thought, ha, we show Paul we're as good as him. It didn't work. Obviously, their, their plan didn't work. So, the gospel flourished, as I said. So you have this strange situation that, like I say, even while they were preaching Christ, accurately, truthfully, they held uh, emotions inside them that were contrary to the spirit of the gospel. 
there's this this um, this verse in Romans. It says, "Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." It says in Romans two. So that's you know that's aimed at unbelievers. But I tell you, the believers who are acting in, in, in the way that these people were, that they should be they should be scared. They should be scared by this. I think Paul wants us to take from this that, you know, okay, some people in Liverpool will be will be preaching the gospel with bad motives, but let God uh, sort them out. In verse 18 he says that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and he's glad about that. That's a strange thing to say. Does it mean that Paul is saying here, does it mean Paul says it's okay for anyone and everyone to start going out speaking about Christ, no matter what the message is, as long as you throw in a little bit about Jesus, as long as you mention Calvary and say something about being born again, it's fine. Any old message would do. No. Because Paul spends huge amounts of effort and time in his other letters addressing problems in the church faults in people's understanding of the gospel and he didn't do that here he doesn't say these preach these people are preaching a false gospel they need to be stopped these people were preaching the gospel very well very accurately very faithfully to the scriptures and he said so you know they mean it for bad but you know the lord can still use that So, as long as the truth was at the core of their message, he, he didn't mind. And it also says, though, that there were people there with good motives, doesn't it? So, it says, in fact, in verse 16. Yeah, he says that, the, he says, some proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. No, it's one before that. Verse 15, he said, others from goodwill. They do it out of love. It says they do it out of love. It was... Is that love for Paul? Is it love for God? What, what, what is it? Both? Well, it may be... Paul's thinking here that the doing it out of love, what he means is by preaching outside the way I am inside, they're identifying with me and that shows their love for me why? because if you're stuck in jail doing the best you can and you know suddenly there's been this real revival outside of people and they're preaching the gospel and they're taking it here there and everywhere well, that's going to that's gonna really give you a boost isn't it? an emotional and spiritual boost so I expect that's, that's what he means by their love but I have to say, sincere preaching is done ultimately for the glory of God and out of a love for God. I just want to finish now by saying something about the courage needed for witness. The courage that's needed to witness to people. I imagine these, these believers now thought, you know what, Paul's inside. If he can preach when he's inside, locked up, 
surely we can do it on the outside. Surely we can do it and give them a bit of a boost. And so uh, the believers, when they heard that Paul was using this imprisonment as an opportunity uh, to express faith in Jesus, uh, even to the soldiers, they were emboldened. And I imagine they would have previously felt intimidated because of the, the atmosphere at the time. You know, as people like Paul were being jailed, people had been killed for preaching the gospel. And yet, here they are, instead of being intimidated, they're out being confident. And so you can imagine they started off, they were timid, they were hesitant, they were fearful beforehand. Now, they were going to take some big risks. Um, it says here in um, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 12. It says, Since we have such a hope, a hope of glory, we are very bold. We are very bold, he says. And um, it's a strange thing people become, can become more bold when there's, there's such risk. And there's no... It wasn't any easier for Paul, was it? To Paul, remember, he's, he hasn't indulged in self-pity. You know, he hasn't said, well, oh no, will you all pray for me? I'm, I'm locked up. Will you? You know, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't wallowed in self-pity. He's decided instead to talk more about Christ than, than himself, which is... Which is something we can follow. We can, we can tell ourselves that what, wherever God has placed us, we find a way to serve Him. And God could have placed you in a place of illness or disability or for someone else imprisonment. And you have all these things. And the message is that we are to carry on. We are to accept that circumstance as being part of God's inscrutable purposes and we just get on with our duty. Courage is needed then. Courage. I said last time when we were talking about love I said to you that it, Paul wasn't saying, Paul didn't think that the church had no love and obviously I don't think that anyone here has no love. We all have love. Uh, but the point last time was that we needed to increase it and it's the same here. We all, have, we all have a degree of courage, don't we? I mean, you know, we've told people in our family we believe in Jesus Christ. And they, 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 they will be thinking, you know, you're mad. This is a, a guy who may have been a good guy, but he's, he died <coughs> 2,000 years ago. What do you mean you're following him? What do you mean he's alive? So people think you're mad. And you did that, and you risked losing friends and family. You may not have done, but there was a risk that friends and family would disown you. And I'm certain there's people here today who, who's, who have lost friends and, and whose families, you know, try to keep them, to keep them at a distance because of their profession. That, 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 is, that is a reality. 
But really, we all have courage, but we just need a bit more, is, is, is the message here. We've got here in the scriptures for us a, a real dramatic increase in the boldness of the believers. When the danger increased, the boldness increased. It doesn't really make much sense, does it? When the danger increased, they became more bold. I'd say in the same way that uh, we can we can we can be more courageous ourselves when we hear about believers suffering in different parts of the world. Now you, you maybe remember some of these horrific stories Alan um, mentioned. Uh, we've been praying for people in foreign countries who've been persecuted, jailed, lost their homes. They've, some of them have been tortured. One guy recently had his head cut off. And his poor wife had to carry it. To, was forced to carry it to the police station and report it as a, as a murder. Uh, all, all because the, these were Christians. And, you know, does that not make you think that, wow, <laughs> we, have, we don't have any of that persecution. We have absolute freedom. So that should spare us on, really, to, to be like Paul and to think, how can I exalt Christ in my family, in my friends' circles, and to strangers? How can I exalt Christ? How can I share this message? How can I carry the torch? We've all got this little, little slim slither of time called life. And in it, we need to make sure we're doing the duty uh, that's been set out for us. So be bold. I um, I was talking to Mo uh, last week, and we were chatting about different ways that you can distribute Christian literature. And if you are not timid, but if you are a bit shy about doing this, one thing everyone can do is they can have a, a couple of leaflets, Christian leaflets, and wherever they go, they can just leave one in the waiting room in the doctors, on a bus, in a cafe. You can just leave a leaflet. You don't have to speak to anyone. You can do that. If uh, I said that I was going to get some uh, leaflets printed soon, this you know this this in the, in the forthcoming months, months, and so you know you can take half of those leaflets, can't you, and just leave them places. And if you feel really brave, you can open your neighbour's letterbox, stuff it in, and then and go. You know that's how it starts. But we should, we should really, we should take our lead from Paul and the brethren and our brethren today, all around the world, who are taking massive risks and they will look at us and expect us to be far, far more bold while we have the freedom that they don't. So, well, let's, um, let's just leave it there and um, we're going to close with our final hymn and it's number 279. In number 279, <clears throat> the chorus is, I know who I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. In number 279.